Welcome to the Picture Methods Podcast, your online home for photography insights and inspiration. Here is your host, Scott Vaughan. Hey, thanks for tuning in to episode two of our little show. Grateful for all of those who have contacted me since we launched the new Picture Methods podcast. We have listeners in 60 countries already and more than 65 countries visiting the blog at picturemethods.com. I just want to start off by saying I got over my cold, thanks uh, to those who mentioned it and said they hope I got better, but now I have a little bit of a cough, so <laughs> can't win. Uh, my voice is going to be a little raspy. Maybe it'll never be back to normal. I don't know, but we'll try. I may have to clear my throat occasionally. I'll try to edit that out. I am uh, delighted. That's the word I can think of, delighted to be a, a very small part of your photographic journey. And I hope with all my heart that you find this show helpful. There's only one reason I'm doing it, to help. If it is helpful, please let me know. And if it's not, tell me what I can do better. Scott at picturemethods.com is my email. You'll get that again at the end of the show. This is the flagship podcast of the Picture Methods blog, where we deliver free insights and inspiration for photographers on a weekly basis. Visit www.picturemethods.com to be so incited and inspired. I have a really big show today. I'm trying to make it shorter, though. It's big but short. Uh, I have got a few comments from people who say they want it to be just about right for their commute, and a few who said they wanted to go longer, so we'll see what ends up shaking out. I am excited to share with you the news that none other than the original digital story that's right, Mr. Derek Story is my guest today on the show. Derek and I go way back to the days of the Aperture launch. Funny story, we were basically thrown into a room at this thing called Macworld that no longer exists. It was a giant conference for Mac nerds. And Aperture had been released a few days earlier, and Joe Shore was the man who was in charge of the project. He handed us a 17-page PDF and said, go teach this class. And by the way, the people paid $850 each to get into it. That was fun. We figured it out. Uh, Aperture was a big part of my life for a while, and then Apple got rid of it, and, well, you know the rest. Uh, Derek is an amazing teacher. That's, that's what I think of Derek. He's an amazing teacher. He's a tremendous writer. He's written professionally for many years. He's got a great blog and a podcast of his own, The Digital Story. We'll talk more about that with him. Uh, he knows how to have fun with his photography. I wish more people today would try to think about that. Photography should be fun. He and I are going to break down something for you that I think mirrorless fans will be interested in. So stay tuned for the interview with Mr. Derek Story. That's coming up along with the news, some photography insights, our monthly Q&A, a word of encouragement, and who knows what else I can cram into the next 40, 50 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it turns out to be. Before I read the news, I do want to invite you to visit the Picture Methods blog. As I said, I am trying to update it no less than three times a week, but I've been pretty good at it. Uh, there's 60 posts there in the first couple of months, so it's ended up being just about every day, but it won't always be that way. I did that at PhotoFocus. Those of you who followed my career from 21 years ago when I started PhotoFocus might note that I published every single day when I was on that blog every single day, including, I don't know, like three times when I was in the hospital. You can subscribe, by the way. There's an email subscribe button on the 
bottom right, I believe, of each page. And if you want to be notified when there is a new post, you don't even have to go look for it. You'll get an email, and uh, that's all that will do for you. If you do subscribe to that email notification, you will be entered to win every one of our free contests. That's all you have to do. There's nothing to tweet. There's nothing to share. If you just subscribe via email, or if you just leave a comment on any of our comment sections, you will be automatically eligible to win prizes. I do want to mention that these prizes will happen every month. Last month, I gave away a $50 B&H gift card. Who doesn't want one of those? And an open gimbal head. Not sure what else I'll give away in March, but I do have another B&H gift card for sure that I'm going to give away in a couple of weeks. And if you'd like a chance to win that, remember, just leave a comment on any post or subscribe via email to the updates that announce each blog post and you'll automatically be entered to win. The contest is available worldwide, except where prohibited by law. See the Picture Methods website for more details. And now, it's time for the photo news. It's been a busy month. WPPI just wrapped up, and we're getting into the swing of 2019 with some lens news. By the way, today's show is going to be pretty much a lens show, talking about lenses. That's the focus of today. Lots of new lenses are coming. Before I get to that list, I want to point out that the Micro Four Thirds Consortium has published a list of all Micro Four Thirds lenses. That's as of February 2019. This list is linked on the Picture Methods blog and here in the show notes. So check that out if you're a Micro Four Thirds shooter. But don't worry. I've got lens news from all kinds of lens mounts. So it's not just Micro Four Thirds. Fuji has announced the XF 16mm f2.8 lens. This lens is a much smaller and lighter version of the XF-16 1.4. Well, that makes sense because it's not as fast. Its uh, build quality is similar to the XF-23, 35, and 50 F2 ranges of lenses. It's about 40% of the weight and 40% of the price of the XF-16 1.4. This lens may be worth a second look if you like to add a classic 24mm field of view to your bag of Fuji cameras. Fuji has also announced the GF 100-200 F56. Get ready for all these initials. L-M-O-I-S-W-R. Telezoom. That's for the Fuji GFX medium format camera. This lens will yield an equivalent field of view of 80 to 160 in full frame terms. Remember, when you're on the medium format cameras, it goes down, not up. To go along with the new Lumix S1 cameras, Panasonic has released three new lenses for the new L-mount, the S-Pro 5014, the S24-105 F4 Macro OIS, and the S-Pro 70-200 F4 OIS lens. Each lens fills an interesting niche in terms of focal length, weight, features, and price. We will have links to some of these lenses individually in the show notes, and we will have links to B&H in general at the end of each post at Picture Methods podcast and blog so that you can get the best prices. I, I think you want to use those links. Now let's talk about Canon. They're bringing out six new RF mount lenses, six of them. Are you ready? I have to look at my paper here. The 85 
one two L. That's LUSM and the eighty five one two LUSM DS. I have to confess, I don't know what that means. The twenty four to seventy F two eight LIS USM lens and the fifteen to thirty five F two eight L. The 70 to 200 F28L, which is, by the way, super compact, and the 24 to 240 F4 to 6.3. Only the big lens, the 24 to 240, isn't super fast, so that's a bunch of new Canon glass. Leica has announced a fast new wide angle prime lens, the APO Summicron SL 35mm F1, excuse me, F2. ASPH lens, and the price is $12 million. <laughs> just kidding. Don't send me hate mail like a fans. I'm just kidding. No, it's expensive, but like a glass is worth it. It's really good. Samyang has announced their first two lenses coming to the RF mount, the ultra-wide-angle 14 f2.8 and a telephoto 85 f1.4. Samyang's really stepping it up. They're making a lot of lenses. They're trying to become a player. In uh, 2018, Leica, Sigma, and Panasonic formed an alliance that would allow the latter two companies to develop products utilizing Leica's L-mount standard. This week, Sigma announced plans to bring 11 of their popular art lenses to the L-mount, as well as they des their decision to sell a new Canon EF to L and Sigma SA to L-mount converter. So those art lenses, they're kind of cool. Check that out. Hey, if you offer products or services that you think would be of interest to my audience here at the Picture Methods podcast or on the Picture Methods blog, why don't you send me an email and send me a press release? Whether it's lenses or cameras or anything photo-related, scott at picturemethods.com. Of course, I can't guarantee that I'll cover everything, but if you send me something that I think is a good fit for my audience, I will give it my best consideration it might make the blog it might make the podcast it might make both so send over a press release if you want something covered i'd love to hear from you it's time for the insights portion of our show and as i said this month's show is lens-focused. We're going to talk about lenses today. I get a lot of email and contact on social media about lenses. I used to get a lot more email than I do now. Now people message me on social media. In case you want to know, I kind of prefer email. Scott at picturemethods.com. Anyway, I'll tell you what most of this email looks like every single day. I get the following email or message on social media, and sometimes I get it 10 times a day. Dear Scott, I bought brand, fill in the blank, brand X lens. And no matter how hard I try, I can't get sharp photos. If I buy brand Y lens, fill in that blank, will that solve my problem? Nope. <laughs> if you've followed me for a while, you know I have this saying, 99% of all lenses are better than 98% of all photographers. Usually when I personally diagnose these issues for workshop students, that means I'm standing with them in the field, I'm looking at their technique, I'm looking at the settings on their cameras, I'm looking at what's really going on. I find that the lens is just fine. I take the lens and shoot it on my camera, no problem. This is something that I want to talk about. 
it's the lens that's fine. It's the technique that's not so much. And I'm going to riff on that for a little bit. I'm going to give you some tips. Uh, hopefully, this will help those of you who are struggling with your lenses and you'll end up getting better results. The first thing I'm going to suggest to you is really simple. Read the manual. <laughs> there are so much information in the manual that nobody reads. I have guys that come on workshops with me, and they have all kinds of features in their lenses, like, for instance, the ability to change the autofocus search pattern. They don't know anything about it, and they're missing shots because they're uselessly focusing on things that are nearby when all they really wanted was birds far afield. They can throw a switch and improve their autofocus performance dramatically, but they don't know it because they never read the manual. So read the manual. That's my first tip. Second tip is almost every lens... Not every lens, but almost every lens ships with a lens hood. Use it. Yes, I know they're cumbersome. Yes, sometimes it makes the lens look big. Yes, it takes up space in the bag. Don't care. If you're having trouble, one of the ways you're having trouble is probably because you're getting this thing called lens flare. Now, you don't notice it because it's not the kind of lens flare that you're used to. It's not the big honking obvious in your face lens flare. It's just simple refracted light bouncing off the lens and down onto the mirror or the film or whatever you use. And that's what the lens hood is there to stop. It stops some of that so that it doesn't make your pictures look mushy, soft, blurry. If you take a picture without a lens hood and you take a picture with a lens hood and you diagnose it on one of those fancy machines like DxO has, you'll see there's a difference. It's not a huge difference. I'm not saying this is going to fix all your problems. I'm saying it's going to help. And all of these tips I'm giving you today, I think if you put them together in a bag and shake them up and apply them, you'll see better performance, no doubt. Right up after that, I want to talk about how you hold your lens. How you hold your lens makes a difference. If you have a long lens in particular, and most of the people that are contacting me are having trouble once they get into telephoto or zoom lenses, there's something you can do to stabilize the way that works, and that's just very simple. Square up your feet so that they're equal to the width of your shoulders. Bend your knees. If you're right-handed, take your left hand and place it underneath the lens. Tuck your left elbow firmly against your rib cage. This is the appropriate shooting position. If you were on a workshop with me, I would demonstrate it to you ad nauseum. But I think if you pay attention to what I just said, and because this is, you know, audio and you can play it back, you can listen to what I just said. But basically, it's squaring up your feet and your shoulders, bending your knees putting a little spring in your knees and then taking your left hand if you're right-handed and placing it underneath the lens to cradle it, tucking your left elbow in. This is something I see on the technique side that drives me crazy. People are shooting with their elbows straight out at a 45 degree angle. Heck no, the thing isn't going to be stable like that. Put your elbow in against your body. Now, if you're left-handed, reverse that. Put your right hand under the lens. It's pretty simple, folks. So holding the lens properly can make a difference. Also, there's this thing called image stabilization. If you have lenses that have IS, use it. Some lenses use IS better than others. Some camera systems employ IS better than others. I happen to shoot with Olympus. Olympus has an 
IS system that is based on both the body and the lens in certain situations and combined it's called sync IS and I can get crazy low shutter speeds in relationship to the focal lengths I'm using I shoot at 840 millimeters equivalent focal length all the time and I can go down to a 50th of a second like nobody's business not a problem because the sync IS works so use that IS it really does matter now let's talk about aperture Some of you think that if you stop all the way down to like F22, even when you don't need to, that that's going to make the picture sharper because, well, isn't, it, isn't that the rule? No, it's not. Every lens, and I don't care who makes it, every lens has a, a sweet spot. It's usually around F8, F5.6, F6.7. It's usually kind of in the middle of the range. That's where the lens is technically the sharpest. As you stop down, you get more refraction problems, and you're going to have issues in sharpness. Now, they may not be huge, but again, remember, we're talking about a totality of the circumstances here. There are a bunch of things that work together to make your images less than pleasing. This is another thing that you can do. You have control over this. You can make the decision. You can decide whether or not you're going to stop all the way down. Now, if you really do need to stop down, stop down and live with it. But think about how much depth of field you really need. And then let's talk about it. Let's see. Maybe it's F8, F6, 7. I bet you'll see in that range that your pictures are sharper. That's the truth. So those are just a few tips. Obviously, I can't tell you everything in one podcast that you need to get good performance out of your lens. But go through all those tips. You know, read the manual. That's the first one. That's really important. Learn as much as you can about your lens. And then lastly, I'll just say practice. Nobody can go out and buy, a, particularly a telephoto lens or a large zoom lens, and just nail it the first shot. You have to give it time. What happens is people buy a new lens... They go out, they're all excited in the afternoon. They take a few pictures, they come back, and they're not stellar. And they go, wait a minute, there's something wrong with this lens. No, sorry, Lucky. There's something wrong with your technique, and you need to give yourself some time. You need to give yourself some room. You never Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't listen to the forum trolls. Do what you need to do to get good with that lens. Give it some time. Practice. I'm not great with every lens I buy the second I get it. I have to practice. I'm the same as you. And I get really sharp pictures. I'm told that on a regular basis. Some people say they see my pictures and they're the sharpest they've ever seen. Well, that's because I practice. I practice a lot. I try to shoot every single day. Even if it's to take a picture of a potted plant, I make sure I take a picture every single day if I can. Hope that helps. I'd love to hear your ideas for what topics we should cover on the insights portion of the program. Next month, I'm thinking of discussing how photographers can use social media to promote their photography. I've been kind of successful at that, and I think I might have some tips I can share. Let me know what you think of that topic or if you think of a better one. That's something that I'd really like to know. I want this show to be something that's helpful to everybody. So please let me know what you think would be the best approach. 
Boy, we've got something really cool this month for you. It is an interview with my friend Derek Story. You can find him at The Digital Story. He's a great photographer, one of the best teachers and writers in the photography field, and we're lucky to have him. Thanks for coming on the show, Derek. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Scott. Well, there's a lot going on in the photography world around mirrorless. Both of us are mirrorless fans. Um, you also have a thing called the nimble photographer. You like to travel light. Um, I, I got to say, this new Olympus camera has generated quite a lot of controversy. It has, hasn't it? It's, uh, it's so cute the way people get all uh, up in arms about things like this, huh? I, I don't get it. I mean, I have people writing very dogmatic, long posts to me, four and five pages about what's wrong with it. And I just write back with a simple thing. Have you ever seen this camera? Have you ever touched it? Have you ever used it? Because I'd kind of wait till you did all three of those before I'd develop something. I'll just tell you straight up like what's happened. A lot of people in Bellevue know I have a condo here who know me. They're like, do you have the camera? I'm like, sure, come on by. They bring their Mark II over. They look at my X. And all the things they read about the camera sort of fall away. Let's just deal with the first one. that We're talking about the new flagship camera, the OMD EM1X. Derek has a great piece on his podcast about it called The, the Digital Story, and you, I, we're going to try to link to that so you can find it in the show notes. But I, I want to get his take and, and mix it with mine. They come, Derek, and they handle the camera, and the first thing people say to me is, it doesn't feel as, as heavy as even the Mark II, even though it's a pound heavier. And the reason is, I happen to know because I, I got to talk to the engineers, they worked on that grip, Derek, for a year. They really wanted the grip to make the camera feel more comfortable and easier to handle. So even though it's heavier, it doesn't feel that way to me. What do you think? Uh, I agree. And we're talking about a grip that runs both ways too. So exactly for, for vertical shooting and for landscape shooting, uh, you have a very comfortable hand position all the time, all the time. And, you know, we, we know this with uh, other, other tools that if the ergonomics of the tool are, are correct, then suddenly things can feel lighter than they really are or, or more balanced or any of those things. And that's one of the things, one of the many things that Olympus has done with this camera. Well, let's get to the sensor because as soon as the people on the forums found out the sensor was the same, they're like, I'm not paying for that. It's just the same old sensor. And they lost their minds. But you and I both know that computational photography is the future. Whether we like it or not, it is the future. And these two processors inside this camera turn that sensor into something like it's like the Hulk. It's like when Steve Bannon becomes the Hulk. I mean, it is Absolutely. so much faster, so much power. Uh, you know, I know that you've written about computational photography. I sort of feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I sort of feel like this is the first instance where we're seeing it really come into play in an interchangeable lens camera. What about you? What do you think? I've been asking for this for a long time, and I've been scratching my head as I watch what happens uh, with iPhones and, and Google phones and Samsung phones uh, as they you know, uh, apply this technology to these little tiny sensors, these little bitty. I mean, you, people are complaining about a micro four thirds <laughs> sensor. You know, <laughs> look at the sensors that we have in our smartphone. They're really small, but yet... Uh, these companies are able to get some, you know, tremendous photography out of these smartphones. And, and for me, it's always been such a logical thing. 
why aren't we doing this in mirrorless cameras? Because mirrorless seem like the reasonable next step uh, to move this technology. And so I've been waiting for this. And when I started reading the spec on the on the X, uh, which is you know I've been familiar with it for a while now too, uh, I go, this is it. You know, finally, finally, you know, this is happening. And the things that they're doing with computational photography, they're just scratching the surface. This is just the beginning. But the the built-in digital ND filter. The ability to recognize different types of objects, such as planes or cars or boats, and then track those objects. You know, the, the things that this camera can do now uh, are really impressive, and it's only going to get better and better and better. So suddenly, that micro four-thirds sensor, at least in my mind, based on what I know about computational photography, is really a non-issue. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's it's a non-issue. And just look, uh, Scott, at uh, sensor shift technology, where you know they move the sensor around a little bit, and suddenly you go from a 20 megapixel image to a 50 megapixel image. And you know that's they can do that in their sleep now. I mean, you can handhold that with the X and do that. So I think the conversation about the sensor is, is way overblown, and I just don't think people are looking at the rest of the camera or the rest of the technology. Well, I sort of feel, Derek, like we've hit the plateau on these sensors probably. Or, I mean, I'm pretty close to it. And I don't think the money, the R&D money, is going to go into much in the way of the sensors when they know they can do it in software. But... I really think there's something that I'd like to point out, and I know that you, you travel a lot. You use your, photog your photography to get you around the world and to teach and to write about it. You are in situations where all the stuff other than the sensor matters, and I don't. I gotta say, I just I'm just blown away by everybody's fixation on the sensor. What good is a full frame sensor that's got like a million megapixels if the camera and lens combo is too heavy? If it's not weatherproof and it gets rained on? and it goes poof if it's <laughs> if it doesn't feel good in your hand um if you know all the if the frame rate isn't good if the autofocus isn't fast enough i mean what does it matter i'm a bird photographer i need super fast autofocus that's what i need because oh yeah i'm photographing things that can fly and don't want to be near me so <laughs> i can't fake it it has to be there and with my first interaction with the new X camera, I could just see the autofocus was faster. And that may not be a big deal to everybody else. If you photograph mountains, I guess it doesn't matter. They never move. But I photograph birds. For me, it's important. Now, you mentioned in your podcast who this camera is for, and we've lost some of that in the discussion. It's aimed at pros, and the people complaining about it aren't pros. They're not the target market. But you talked about the halo effect. I'd just like you to dip into that for a second for my audience, because I think you were spot on. And then I'll riff back on the back of that with, with my impression. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think this is a huge part of what Olympus was thinking. First of all, I think people have to realize that Olympus has been making cameras for a long time, and they really know their way around uh, this business. So when they when they do something like this, they have thought about it a lot. And one of the things that I think they identified was that they needed, first of all, to have a camera for pros who want to do sports and want to do wildlife, all that kind of stuff. That was even better than the M1 Mark II. And so 
for photographers like you and for Kelly Cox, who does sports and, you know, all, all those folks, they needed this camera. Okay, that's great. But beyond that, there's even a bigger thing. And that bigger thing is guys like me who don't need that camera. I'm more of a travel and event photographer. Uh, but what I do want to know is that the company that has that makes all those lenses that are in my bag is going to continue to push forward and, and to make great stuff so that I can have confidence in my investment. So I can say, hey, maybe the X isn't for me, but I want to know that the company that makes all my gear can make a camera like the X because that way I know that technology then will trickle down into future cameras that maybe are the cameras that I want or that I need. So there is something about, you know, saying, hey, here's the bar right here. And, you know, Olympus is saying, look, we can play ball with anyone else in the business in terms of technology, in terms of ingenuity. Uh, we can play ball with anyone in the X is a camera that makes that statement. And that means the rest of us who might not need the X can go, yeah, that's awesome. My camera company is kicking butt. And, uh, you know, that makes me feel good and gives me confidence in my investment. Well, it's the 100th year of um, anniversary of Olympus, Derek. 100 years. Yeah. So, yeah, they've been around doing this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say that I'm a car collector. And I'd like to take your analogy and, and show how it works in the car world. When I was growing up and in high school, every guy wanted a Corvette. They were ridiculously expensive, ridiculously fast, ridiculously, you know, basically, they, they just weren't very practical. <laughs> They were impractical. No, they weren't. They weren't. I mean, they you were could over only, the top. You could only put two people in one, and every guy I know wanted one. So Chevy makes the Corvette, and all the guys I knew were dreaming about a Corvette. But what did we go buy, Derek? We bought a Nova. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm really dating or myself. Or one of those, right? All of our audience is looking up on Google now. What's a Chevy Nova? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you, we were proud of our company, our car company, you know, built the Corvette, and we sort of felt like we had some bragging rights, you know? Hey, exactly. they make the Corvette, so my Nova's pretty cool too. So I think that taps into exactly what you're saying. You know, I don't think Olympus is done. I don't have any inside knowledge, and if I did, I couldn't share it. But I, I think you'll see a lot of stuff coming, and I think you're right. You'll see some of these new technologies trickle down, and maybe there'll be another Pan F or something like it, or maybe there'll be a, another EM Mark 10. I, I, I don't know what's coming, but I would bet you're right that we'll see some of these technologies filter in. And Olympus is focused also on glass. This new 150 to 400 lens is also not for most of the audience listening to this show. But for me, it's like a dream come true. Exactly. <laughs> if you're a bird photographer, you cannot have too much focal length, my friend. You just cannot. So Yeah, and especially handheld focal length yeah, with that kind of reach. I mean, you're gonna be able crazy. you're gonna be able to get to two thousand millimeters effective focal length with the doubler. And you're going to be able to handhold it. 
I never even had a fantasy that I could do that. So now I'm going to have to start studying atmospheric distortion because we're going to get into that territory, but that's another podcast. I think this is very exciting times. All this innovation, whether you like this camera or not, whether you like Olympus or not, should get you excited because we have new stuff coming from Panasonic. We see Nikon and Canon getting into the mirrorless world. They have no choice, by the way. I think there's just a, a very, it's a very exciting time to be a photographer, Derek, because the lenses and the gear, it, they, it just keeps getting better and better. Back when we were kids, if you had a zoom lens, it was just at best a piece of garbage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now a cheap $200 zoom can be a very good camera lens. I mean, it's, it's amazing what we've witnessed. Your final thoughts on the X. Yeah. The other thing that I want to say is that uh, people who don't shoot Olympus, I just want to piggyback on something that you said, they should really be happy about this camera because Olympus tends to develop technologies that are later adopted by other companies. And uh, you know, a lot of the things that we see in the X are going to show up in Canons and Nikons and other camera brands. And all of those people that use those cameras can thank the Olympus engineers for developing this stuff that they will be using a few years later. So, you know, this is a camera to be, in my opinion, celebrated by everyone. Well, thank you for that perspective, and I totally agree. Derek, you are one of the guys that's been around this industry for a long time, and you are very prolific. I'm sure our audience, after hearing you opine so intelligently on this podcast, will want to follow you. Where can people uh, find you and, and connect with you? The absolute best spot to go is the digital story, all one word, dot com. And uh, everything is there in the nav bar Facebook, uh, Instagram feed, my about me page that has a portfolio. Everything is there. If you just go to the digital story, you can find the podcast and everything else that I do. And uh, go there because we're doing a lot of good stuff and we have a great community. I'd also like to mention that Derek runs the, the Skylum Facebook community and does all kinds of cool challenges there and comes up with great ideas for people to have fun with their photography. And Derek, I, I just want to say that the one thing I love about your approach to photography, your teaching and your writing, is that you put fun at the forefront. And we both know that if you aren't having fun as a photographer, you're doing it wrong. So I really appreciate that you take that approach. And I really encourage our audience to visit The Digital Story. It's a podcast that I listen to. And I think you have a lot to say, and the industry's lucky to have you. Thanks so much, Scott. It's always a, a pleasure to hang out with you, and uh, you know, hope hope I get to come up to Washington and uh, see your place. Okay, me too. Well, that's Derek's story from the Digital Story. We'll be right back with more of the Picture Methods podcast after this. I want to take a minute to talk about Luminar. Luminar is perfect for photographers who already use Adobe Photoshop or Lightroom. It works as a plugin or a standalone product and offers more than 50 filters that you can use to edit your photos before round tripping them back to your favorite Adobe product. Beginners can use artificial intelligence to make automatic corrections while pros can do everything manually with complete control over layers, masks, and much more. Luminar is easy to use and offers a non-destructive editing workflow. No subscription. You buy it once and use it forever. For more information on Luminar, go to skylum.com, S-K-Y-L-U-M.com, or click on the Luminar banner ad on any 
PictureMethods.com blog post. Skylum, great photography differently. You got questions? We got answers. Here's the Picture Methods podcast Q&A segment for March 2019. Edward Bartell from Buffalo, New York asks, what's the effective use of social media? Which platform to use? What are the strengths and weaknesses of each? I was thinking about this as I've grown up with the garbage that's on Facebook today. I missed the heyday of Google+. Plus. For those of you that don't know, Google+, Plus recently shut down. I'm not a fan, he says, of the endless toilet paper roll that is Instagram. For one, I think I might just return to my focus to Flickr, as Vero and Ello seem to get no traction, and most people haven't heard of my beloved deviant art. I'd really like you to take this one on and see how it evolves. Okay, well, Edward, I mentioned earlier in the show that I'm thinking about doing a whole segment on this in that whole show, if not next month soon. But I'll just say that, you know, for me, I'm... I have good luck on Twitter, and everyone says it's dead, but I have 220,000 followers there. It's not dead for me. I have good luck there, but keep in mind, my primary use of social media is to share my work, and I think that's the most effective use of social media. Share your pictures, and then come what may. Don't argue with people. Don't engage trolls. Share your pictures. Whatever they say about it, they say about it. But if you share your work, you might just find outlets for your work that you weren't looking for. That's how I get some jobs, actually. I had an editor see a picture that I shared on my Twitter account. They hired me to do a spread in a photo magazine. I've had editors see my stuff on Facebook, Instagram, Flickr, and say, hey, how about this? Could we use it for that? So just share the photos. That's the most effective use. I agree with you. Flickr is the next thing. And here's why. My friends at SmugMug bought Flickr. They're take, they've taken it away from Yahoo. And they are going to turn it into something great. It's already improving, and I use it now every day. Please follow me there. You can get the links in the show notes. I love Flickr. You don't have these compressed, schmaltzed-up photos that look like garbage the way they do on Facebook. You can go on Flickr and see a, a pretty darn good representation of what the image maker wanted you to see. So for me, Flickr is probably the, the up-and-coming platform. But just show the work. That's how I see it. That's the most important thing. People contact me all the time and say, I want to get published. I want to get paid. How do I do it? It starts by showing the work. Here's another question. Arnold Elliott from Minot, North Dakota asks, why do some photographers use monopods, but others use tripods? Is it better to use a monopod? I am new to all this and want to learn the difference. Well, that's a great question, Arnold, and being new is not a sin. In fact, we love new people because there's lots to learn and it's fun to learn. So the monopod is different from a tripod in that obviously it has one leg instead of three. It's much more compact. It's not as intrusive. There are many places that will ban tripods, but they do not ban monopods. There are many places where there's simply not enough room to set up a tripod but there is a monopod. You can stick a monopod in some cases in your pocket. I use a monopod not so much to steady my camera, but to rest it because I work with big lenses. And if I hand hold them for eight hours, my arms get tired. I'm an old man. So I need the monopod just to rest my, my old body. But some people do use them for stability and they do come in handy for stability. They're usually cheaper than tripods. That's kind of a cool thing. And as I said, they don't take up as much space. They're not as heavy. There's lots of advantages to them. So if you're choosing between one or the other, there are cases where you need a tripod. You really do. 
you just have to have a tripod sometimes because you have to have a 30-second exposure. It's not going to be possible to hold a monopod in place for 30 seconds and get the job done. If you have questions you'd like answered on the show, just drop me an email, scott at picturemethods.com. And if I can, I'll try to get you on the podcast. Remember, without the cue, there can be no Q&A. So please send me those questions. I really do appreciate it. I'm going to end each Picture Methods podcast with words of encouragement. It's not much, but it's my attempt to put something out there that's positive, no matter how negative the world seems to be. More and more often, I hear from photographers who are dejected because they can't afford the latest and greatest gear. Unfortunately, they have listened to the geartographers on the forums who spend all day talking about photography instead of taking pictures. And they've been poisoned into thinking that gear is the answer. It's what's stopping them from moving forward. The truth is, the truly great photographers, and I mean the truly great ones, are always great in spite of their gear, not because of it. Think about that. In spite of their gear, not because of it. If you look at some of the greatest photos of all time, they were made with cameras and lenses that would be scoffed at today that didn't have any of the features we take for granted today. And yet, they're some of the iconic images that will last forever. The great Alfred Eisenstadt said, it's more important to click with people than to click the shutter. If you have the ability to find something you are passionate about, and you are able to tell a story about the subject of that passion, and if you can admire that subject, if you can love that subject, then you are on to something. If you can do all this to the point where others are moved, you could use a smartphone camera for all I care, a 10-year-old DSLR, a crappy lens that's got a, a broken filter on it. If you care about your subjects and you are passionate about them, that will come through in your photography, and that is what will move people. That is what will get people excited. And you could be dead broke. And I'm talking about dead broke. And it's you, you, three, two, one. You can be dead broke. Not mean dead brokes. I used to be so broke I couldn't afford to pay attention. Okay, folks? I started out with crappy gear like everybody else. And I made some images that I, I got paid for because I cared about my subject. If you can make photographs that you care about, it's chances are others will care about it. It's that important. So think of yourself as a storyteller, not as a photographer, not as a geartographer. Apply this thinking to your work. And you know what? Your situation will turn around. Someday you will be able to get the nice camera. And I'm a very lucky man. I'm the luckiest man in the world. I get to use whatever cameras I want, the best in the world. But it wasn't always that way. I used to have to make do. And you can too. Until that moment when you're going to break through. I promise you it'll turn around for you. Eventually you will get the camera you want. But for right now, be happy with what you have. Stop looking at the geartographers and what they talk about and just go out and make pictures. 99% of this is getting out there off the couch, making images and doing what you love. I hope this helps for you. I really do. I want you to know I'm rooting for you. If there's anything I can do, send me an email, scott at picturemethods.com. I really want to help. So let me know what you're thinking. 
I do want to thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me, and I hope you enjoyed the show. I would appreciate it if you'd leave a review on whatever podcatcher you use, iTunes or Google Play, etc. Also, be sure to follow me on social media because I give stuff away there, too. And I also have lots of pictures and lots of things I try to teach and share there. So follow me on social media. All the links are here in the show notes. And uh, if you if you don't want to look at the show notes, just go to scottborn.com. There's links to everything if you dig around there. I think that's probably the easiest way to do it. I do want to mention that I'm back teaching workshops. I had to take a year and a half off from that because of my day-to-day duties at Skyland. But I've rolled those back. I'm just an advisor to the company again. Like it's where I started. And now I have the time to do what I really love the most, which is teach and shoot and share. So check out picturemethods.com right in the middle of the menu bar. You'll see a workshops link. You can see where I'm going. And if there's nothing there that appeals to you, let me know where you want to go, what you want to do. Maybe I can put something together. I also want to hear your ideas for the show. This is a collaborative effort. It's me and you, not just me. So let me know what you think. I can't uh, implement everybody's suggestion, but if 10 people tell me the same thing, that'll be a pretty good indicator that maybe I should go that direction. So let me know. I really do appreciate you stopping by. That's all I have for this month. Be sure to subscribe so you can catch the next episode of the Picture Methods Podcast. Keep shooting. Hi, this is Vanelli. Thanks for listening to my friend Scott Bourne's Picture Methods Podcast. Be sure to visit www.picturemethods.com for more photography insights and inspiration, and to subscribe.